Everyone, Clay Zell is here from the Compost Company. And I'm Maris. And I'm Michael Britt. And that's Michael Britt. And this is Zero Waste Trash Talk. And we are going to talk with Clay tonight about composting and different things in Nashville that are going on around that. But listen, I, I didn't want to stop you from the story you were saying. I was just like, this is the kind of fun banter I feel like people should know and, you know, get to know a little bit more about you. And we we're just talking about Clay's awesome background. So we're, we're all remote as normal. Michael's at his house. I'm at my house. And Clay is at his grandparents' house or your wife's. Is it your wife's? Yes. Uh, so that would be my grand-in-law parent, grandparents-in-law. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, would be the way we would say that. Yes. Uh, this house was built by Don Pierce, my wife's grandfather, in 1968. He was a, he, he owned a recording studio called Starday Records. And um, I, I would love to give you the tour because this place is, is, is country fabulous from exactly wow. that area. And it has remained a period piece. I mean, it looks exactly the same as it did when they first moved in. see a little bit of it and i want to see all of it so yeah it would it would take the duration of this entire thing but there's some wonderful wonderful stuff going on this little corner of sumner county and on old hickory lake is 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 been our retreat and has been huge for our um uh covid kind of isolation are you guys staying there with them um, my wife and boys are, have been here more than I have. Um, this has been, you know, this whole thing kind of took place right in the middle of our busiest season of the year. Um, mm -hmm. And in, in my line of work in composting, this is when all of the material really goes out the door. Um, you know, what we, what we take in and divert from landfilling, we process into finished compost. And this is the time of year that it goes out to farmers and landscapers and home gardeners. And we've wow. seen a pretty major uptick this year in residential delivery. Um, really? We, we deliver to homeowners and I think everybody was stuck at home so this was the year that they finally were like, you know, that garden we've been thinking about for the last five years, like it you got time to do it now. So we've we've seen a lot more, um, you know, stuff going into the hands of, of, of homeowners. So. so it's like seasons. Sorry, Michael. I see you, Michael. <laughs> it's no, like seasons, no. right? It's like that's what you said. This is like the season where you're going that that you're dropping off everything. So how does that kind of work like throughout the year? How, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, spring is sort of the season around which, you know, our year revolves, at least on the on the product side of what we do, um, because we, we, we do two things, really. We, we divert organic material from the landfill, and that takes place on a pretty steady basis all year long. Um, that's coming from, you know, uh, restaurants and grocery stores and hospitals and schools yeah. and places like that. And in a normal year, which this one has been anything but, um, you know, that is a very steady flow. That, that doesn't really have any seasonality. But the, the time when people are using compost, when they're actually starting and maintaining gardens, really, you know, it, heavy focus on the spring because that's when everybody wants to get, you know, get going. So That makes sense. Yeah, around the middle of February is when most people start getting going. And then we have some people who do some fall um, applications. Um, so we have like one really busy outbound season and then we have one sort of smaller one in the fall. And then everything the whole year is pretty much you're always collecting. 
Exactly. That's that that never really that knows no seasonality. We're always yeah wasting food, um, but we stay busy. Collecting and ma mad scientisting is that a word? Scientisting. Yeah, you made it. You, you guys like are it. like, yeah, Does you guys count? are like, <laughs> you're you're a combination between uh, like a scientist and chemistry set out there, and and then uh, your all your different various piles aging at different times. It's like bourbon in different barrels. When I visited you out there mm -hmm. to shoot yeah. that video, I was very impressed with all the different levels and. This one's been sitting here for months, and this one's this one's a newer one, and this one's been sifted multiple times, and this one's organic, and this one's lettuce and mint tobacco. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we you know it's it's always coming in. We don't always necessarily a lot of what we what we get in we get a, you know ten hours of notice if that, and you know it'll say okay truck at you know distributor here has it went bad on the truck. We need to bring it to you right oh, now. Oh, wow. And so we'll be like, okay, all right, we can figure out how to, you know, we, so we've had to develop a process by which we can, it doesn't matter if we get in 40,000 pounds of spinach or sweet potatoes or, um, you know, broccoli or whatever it is, mm. you know, because those things, those, those trucking companies, they need to get it off that truck pronto. And because they're, you know, that once it's gone bad, their, their entire, you know, need is to have that truck back on the road hauling stuff again. So they, it, it comes in a lot of different forms. So let's, let's talk about that for a second. Cause when I was out there, you had one of those trucks full of, I think it was lettuce and you had a tanker of chocolate that had gone bad, something <laughs> wrong with it. And then wow. some tobacco waste. Yeah. It, it was actually kind of an interesting smell, all of that stuff. Um, but tobacco and chocolate, that's a good mix. Yeah. Tell, tell me about <laughs> Does most of the time when that comes out, is it is it really ruined or is it just like, oh, it's no longer grade A grocery store quality because it got a little wilted and we're going to dump it? That is one of the sort of the sad things about it is in, in a lot of cases um, where, say, a, you know, a truck has been deemed unacceptable by, say, the food packager. A truck has been on the road from California, Arizona, Florida, you know, who knows? Mm -hmm. um, if that truck, if, if any of it spoils on the way there, let's say the guy turned the ball, the temperature down too too low, and the top fifty pallets uh, or top fifty crates out of two thousand froze, the whole load has to go. Oh, and so gosh. it's one of those things where it's like, mm, you know, uh, we are, we're happy that it is being diverted to landfilling and or right, composting instead of landfilling. However, there's 36,000 pounds of that that are perfectly good, but yeah. uh, the, the regulations require that the whole thing go, um, lest it be mixed. I, 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 you know, I'm not exactly sure. Right. We're working on ways, and we've I've been talking recently with um, Jeannie Hunter from the Society of St. Andrew and some other like-minded organizations about how we can possibly recover some of that and uh, and i was just going to mention her broader <laughs> about uh, you know protections for diverting food for you know for for feeding hungry people then i think a lot of people realize a lot of people are like whoa if it's you know if it's even possibly deemed not acceptable for a food packager then it can't go to somebody else um but actually if it's done in good faith and most of this stuff is pristine it's in good shape yeah we can 
converted to them. The, the, what we're trying to work through right now is the time pressure because, you know, we're all outdoors. Michael, you've been there before. We don't have a whole lot of places to store that stuff. So we'd need to get it into hands almost the moment it's coming off a truck. So there's, there's a lot of challenges there. Um, but we're, we're trying to work through some of those and see how that's going to, going to go because, you know, we do believe that the first place food like that ought to go is into the hands of people who need it. Right. Um, and, and, and we, re we recognize our place in the, in the food hierarchy as kind of the last line of defense before it actually, you know, goes into a landfill and we can do something good with it, but there are higher and better uses than it, you know, ending up in a compost pile. But because of the way the food system works, a lot of it is going to end up in our direction one way or the other, uh, either if it's just yeah. the stuff or, if the, you know, the peelings or the things. So we're, but we're trying to figure out ways within how we do things to, to get it to people like Jeannie and the side. Yeah. That's great that you're, uh, that you're aware of that and working with her. That's who I was going to suggest that you uh, hook up with. They're, they're, they call themselves, it's food gleaming, right? They go out into the, into the farm fields and save produce. That's right. Um, and yeah. gleaning is a very, you know, viable way to do it. It really is just a matter of, you know, getting all those people together in the same place when the farmer says, Hey, I've got all this extra stuff. Right. Again, the clock is, is ticking, um, on getting it less so than in the case of say a trucking company who has showed up at our place and, every minute that that truck isn't hauling stuff, you know, th their calculus is very different. That, if that truck isn't hauling goods for them, it's not making money and therefore is a problem. So oh, the money, the money, the money, the money. So, so it's having impacts. Yeah. <laughs> One more thing about that. This, this is the fascinating side of what you do. Um, and I want to talk about it, but then, then I want to come back to, I'm sure, you know, some of the people listening may not even be clear of, how composting works. So right. We should, we should like start back at the beginning in a minute, but uh, this is fascinating because the other thing that happens is those produce trucks come loaded with the reusable plastic crates on them full of produce and they just, and they just dump those on you and you're, you have, they don't come back and get them. So they're not really being reused then once they write off the load uh, from, from the conversations we had before. And I, and I bring this up because you were a rock star hero uh, during the tornado recently because uh, several groups that, that we were working with needed boxes and they needed yeah. things to distribute goods in. And I, I called you up because I remembered you mentioning those and you delivered a, a, a huge cube van full of them to the community resource center. And then I, I delivered, you know, gave out a hundred and something of them, but you really stepped up and brought those in and, and they're really put to hey, good use. hats so. off to both of you guys for making that connection. Really, that was pretty incredible. Well, I, you guys were so much deeper in it than we were. I mean, we made a delivery of, of a thing that we you know, knew could get used. Uh, so, no, hats off to y'all. Y'all were all <laughs> over it during that emergency. And it's just amazing that something that significant seems to have, like, not faded away by any means, but then suddenly COVID comes on the heels of that. And it was like, what? we were, yeah, we were, we were dumped on for, for quite a while, I feel like, but you know what, Michael, he does this crazy thing and he, he's taught me a lot about sustainability. And the key of that is just remembering where these types of things happen. Like he remembered crates that could be reused for this. And that's the key to sustainability is just, kind of remembering 
where these resources are and be like, wait, well, those aren't being used. So why can't we use them here? And that's, that's really forward thinking to me. So I'm learning every step of the way, guys. I'm keeping tabs. But back to the composting and what it, what it is. And if you'd like to, Clay, in your simplest form, would you like to tell our listeners what, what composting is? Sure. Um, it's it, it is it's most basic the reusing of um, something that would otherwise be going into the trash in the form of organic waste. Um, organic waste is the number one largest single stream of material going into landfills today, and it you know between thirty and forty percent. And this is food scraps, you know, wasted food, wood. Um, you know, leaf waste, things like that. Um, anything that was once alive, basically. Right. And I like to say, I like to say whatever came from the earth goes back into the earth. And that's what composting is. If it came from the earth, you can put it back into the earth. Is that kind of, is that accurate? (laughs) It, It absolutely is accurate. The problem is, is we're putting it back into the earth in a landfill, which is a deeply unnatural way to do that. Wow, Putting you know, it back into the earth in the form of finished compost is, is, is a whole different ball game because yeah. you can dig a big hole and stuff it all down in there, and that doesn't really work out the same. Let's expand on that, which I think is interesting. I had I went and I bartended last year. I was at a party in, in Franklin, and I was bartending there, and I had a conversation with some people there because nothing that we were using was reusable or uh, compostable. It was all plastic products. And it was crushing my soul a little bit. And this older gentleman came over and we were talking about it. And it was a really interesting conversation because I was not prepared for what he was about to say when I talked to him about what a landfill actually was. He's like, well, yeah, everything is going back into the earth there. We're just throwing it away into there. And that's, isn't that composting? And I was shocked. (laughs) I mean, we sat there and talked for another 10 minutes because he would not agree with me about where it went and thought that the landfill was just as good like that was a good thing and oh i couldn't really talk anymore with him because i was working yeah, <laughs> yeah. you want to kind of keep it out of that of the work environment i get it but i really wanted to, i want to like talk to that man on this podcast today and just tell him you know the landfill is not a good thing. It's not, we're not putting things back into the earth in the landfill. It's completely different. And composting from, you know, what I've learned is that we can take everything that we don't eat and put it into soil. And that's where you guys come in and you, and you grind it all up or tell me about that process. What happens there? We do. Um, basically, we take a variety of different kinds of organic waste. And again, like you said, Maris, it's like whatever was once alive. And essentially what we do is we, depending on what we get in in the day, we blend it into um, the right ratios. And generally, it's sort of carbon and nitrogen, and we like to make sure that they're blended in the right way so that they'll process quickly and we it, it's it's a little bit like baking in a way we get the, yeah. you know, everything in the right proportion the recipe the ingredients there's some very large piles which we then set up on a on, on a on a pad that we have on our site where and we we used to do it where we were turning these very large windrows and you know we had to turn them all the time it felt like we were doing it constantly but now we do it where we actually pump air through it and it helps us do a lot more on a quicker timetable and um we can 
it, and it just produces a better compost. How long does that process go for? If we're doing everything optimally, it takes about 90 days from raw, what we call feedstocks, which is, you know, apple cores, banana peels, meat, bone, dairy, you know, whatever it happens to be, and, and wood chip primarily. We get a lot of that from tree trimmers and landscapers who are always looking for outlets to bring their stuff. Um, and, and that can be affected by the, the other stuff, right? The, um, the other compostable products that they're coming out with now that you're, that you're having to deal with, the different plastic looking compostable products yes we call them uh yes compostable plastics um they're made <laughs> out of um primarily a corn resin um which um is compostable there are certain types of them that have you know some problematic after effects um but that's that that's a pretty deep in the weeds conversation but we are noticing that a lot more uh, hospitality clients of ours and just, you know, hospitality people writ large are using more compostable serviceware, um, which mm -hmm. certainly beats the heck out of, you know, just a petroleum based plastic. So, um, anyway, yeah. short story long, there's, there's, there's a lot of people who, you know, would argue against compostable, um, plastics, but you know, it, it, it is a, it's a better alternative than what else is out there for single. Right. But it doesn't mess up the process too much, like it, it since it's not optimal, like you were saying. It's not, but it's um, it's we've optimized our process to incorporate those. Um, mm. There's a lot of composters out there that don't accept them, but right. for us to to work with people like you know Vanderbilt and some of our restaurant clients and hotels and things that rely on a lot of grab and go type service. Um, that was one of the ways that we could make the, the process work for them on their end. Because otherwise it would be, there's a lot of sorting that would have to go on and people, especially people in crowds are yep. pretty bad at it. Even, yes. even well-meaning people, like right. they, they want to do the right thing, but if you give them a whole lot of choices, it can be confusing. I mean, even Absolutely. for me, who's in it all day, every day. If you laid out <laughs> 10 different, you know, service items and told me, you know, without any branding on them, yeah, I'd probably be pretty good. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait that's our next segment. You that's our next time. segment. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're going oh, okay. yeah. to ask you to pick the... No, just kidding. We talk <laughs> about how those are all... Uh, it's impossible to tell unless you look at the little tiny... You have to turn your cup upside down and read it. You know, who, exactly. who's doing that? I have and, and one yeah. right yeah. here. Bingo. There's, well, See, yeah, there's... This is from uh, Wild Cow. And I just, yeah. uh, I just got some it, food there, and they gave me some free cookies because they're awesome. Is, oh, we love is the lid cow. compostable? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That? Let's see. Oh, wait. Hold on. This says compostable, biodegradable on the bottom. And then the top says, actually, it says PP number five. So yeah, I guess it's the, not. That's what I thought. The I top is plastic. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, so let's, let's go. I, I want to get back to a little bit, the difference here, because we're, we are talking about restaurant, uh, to go containers yeah. and we talk about it internally and externally a lot. Sure. Um, but especially now everybody's, everything's to go, you know, it's takeout. That's the primary, uh, you know, way we're all getting our food. And, and one of the things that we've mentioned before is that people don't, understand that if there's a if a restaurant's paying extra and providing us with compostable plastics and compostable materials it doesn't do any good to throw them in the trash we have to send those 
to an industrial facility, which we were lucky enough to have here, being compost company and what you do. And the reason for that is back to what you're saying, where you have the air shooting underneath the piles, correct? You're able to heat these piles a lot hotter than we can at home, so it breaks down those materials. Right. Um, and it's also a question, even, you know, our process you know, is, is one part of it, but just volume. Like, you know, your average homeowner isn't going to create a pile that's big enough to keep and, and maintain the kinds of temperatures that are required for breaking those things down. Because it does require heat and it requires time and it requires a lot of manipulation. And so, I mean, I've tried it at home and I have tried it really, really vigorously. And, uh, you know, a fork or a spoon or that cup is going to take a, a dreadfully long time. I had one that lasted almost two years in a, in a home pile. Um, and but but in, in our process where we're grinding it and we're getting it up to, you know, our piles shoot up to 180 degrees inside of about you know 48 hours once we really put them all together and so that that's what's required is that kind of volume and temperature and that's the uh we're talking about the difference between a landfill is uh, anaerobic where it doesn't get oxygen and composting is aerobic is that correct is that the that is correct and that is the the, the reason why organic material doesn't belong in that environment well, you know if you throw an apple core on the ground in an aerobic environment it's gonna it's gonna break down correctly with almost no environmental impact at all i mean in with nature, nature. Has, has 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 evolved for that kind of for that apple to fall off that tree and animals and bacteria and microbes and everything make it go back from whence it came right back into the soil and it's a very virtuous loop if you throw that apple core and 10 million like it into an into a, a landfill environment cover it up every day it's deprived of that oxygen making it an anaerobic environment and it then produces a significant amount of methane which is one of one of many um, detrimental environmental impacts that landfills have is right. the production of methane. Mm -hmm. Now, can I stay on this technicality for a minute too? Because the other question I have is, uh, there, there, there are good anaerobic processes as well, right? Uh, there are bacterial uh, ones. Those are the ones that where it's actually enclosed and, mm -hmm. and you're actually capturing any of that methane and burning it for energy. Um, you know, we, didn't pursue that avenue for it just because they're they're pretty expensive to build, um, and you know our process gives us a lot of flexibility about what we can take um, in really dense urban environments. If you need to put something like within a city, an anaerobic digester type of thing is 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 a popular choice, especially where you've got a lot of political will to spend ten twenty. $30 million to actually build one. Um, New York is a great example. San Francisco is a great example where they have spent enormous amount of money to, to build these things because they're spending it otherwise just to ship trash out of town. Um, you know, right. New York, something like it's between 500 million and a billion dollars a year just to get trash out of Dodge because they generate crazy? so much of it. Oh, I mean, it's, they used to just, you know, haul it out. <laughs> into the ocean and dump it. I don't mean to laugh. It's just like, um, yeah. <laughs> and then it started up on the beach in New Jersey. I mean, this was in like the early 1900s yeah. and then they started landfilling it and then they filled up Staten Island and that became untenable, but they, they've run out of landfill space in Pennsylvania, Ohio, 
Delaware and all these places, it's now going on trains to um, primarily to uh, South Carolina and I think that's out of control and now Arizona going a long way. The math there, it doesn't add up. It's, you know, we're going to, we're going to ship all this waste away and a good portion of it could have been composted and kept in our, in our cities and our environments and reused, but we're going to pay more money. The short-sighted thinking that we're just going to keep shipping trash as far away and filling up landfills and not worrying about the future bill for that. It's crazy. It is ludicrous. And they finally said, all right, wait a minute. Okay, building the $90 million facility to do it here now does make sense because all of these other states, I mean, you know, Pennsylvania used to take it fairly cheaply and that was the sweep it under the rug option. And it's no longer an option. So then uh, it became Ohio. That is how we handle most of our waste. I mean, whether it be hazardous or not. Does anyone uh, know who came up with a landfill idea? Who came up <laughs> with the landfill idea? Truly, like, was it a toddler? Because, you know... I don't know, we just want to sweep it under the rug, like you said, and and not and pretend it's not there. That just seems so silly. Or if you're nomadic, you just leave it all in a pile and then move uh, and go. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I think it's been a problem for a long time. Um, archaeologists love studying trash piles because we mm-hmm. seem to just be really As we good create more them. materials, yeah, there has to be somewhere for it to go. So the process, we have to start thinking in the beginning of the process is what we're learning. That's we have to reverse it all somehow. Hey, Zero Waste Squad. We're gonna take a minute and run an ad for a company that we love, Compost Nashville. Composting doesn't have to be complicated, messy, or even time consuming. Compost Nashville can set you up with a lidded bucket to store all of your food scraps and compostable materials that gets picked up once a week from your doorstep. It's that easy. By signing up, you're not only diverting 30% of trash that would normally go into the landfill, but you're also getting finished compost using your own yard twice a year. Not into gardening? No problem. Compost Nashville lets you donate your finished compost to a local farm or community garden. Last year, your fellow Nashvilleians used this service to divert 730 tons from the landfill. This 1.5 million pounds of compost removed over 1,400 metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions from the air. That's like taking 3,687 cars off the road. Use the code TRASHTALK for 50% off your first month when you sign up at compostnashville.org. Hey, before we get back to the interview, I wanted to tell you about a new feature on our website. A lot of listeners have given us feedback that we talk about a lot of things in an episode, and some of it goes by pretty fast. So we created a web page for each episode with a full transcript and links to everything we talk about at zerowastetrashtalk.com. Check it out. Composting is actually something I just started this last year. I'll be honest, on my journey, I, I was always really intimidated about composting. When I heard composting, I thought, oh, that's a little too advanced for me. You know, that's, that's a little too much for me. And... Then when I started doing it, I realized how easy it is. And I'm sure that you talk to many people about how easy it really is to do it. And what, what kind of feedback do you get? Or what kind of excuses do you hear from different people? What's the biggest intimidation with composting, you think? Um, well, it comes in several different ways. I mean, we, you know, we get it from either, you know, 
the homeowner side um, that is, you know, do I really need to do this in my backyard? Aren't I going to attract pests? Isn't it a lot of work? What am I going to do with the finished compost when I have it? Mm-hmm. You know, I can't, I can only do, you know, vegetables, right? So what do I do with all the meat? I might as well just throw it all away. Right. But then we also get it from the commercial side because um, primarily the people that we collect from are commercial producers, restaurants, right. and hotels, grocery stores. And we, we do that because they don't have the option to even do it in their backyard. In a perfect world, everybody takes care of their own doorstep, right? Um, in a perfect world. In a perfect world. Um, but we at least offer the option for those, you know, who, who don't have that option at all um, in, in the form of places, you know, like, you know, the Hilton hotels. And yeah, in the, the city. We work with, yeah. Um, Downtown, where they'd be partying. Exactly what they used to be part of. <laughs> right. uh, it's pretty quiet these days. <laughs> but the, you know, so on that end, it's mostly about, well, it's going to cost more. It's going to smell. It's going to attract pests. I mean, there, there's a lot of crossover. Mm-hmm. And our sole mission is to prove to people that it not only doesn't cost more, it doesn't smell, it doesn't attract pests. And with a really good, you know, with a, with a vigorous program, you can make a humongous impact. Fortunately, we're seeing a lot of national brands like Hilton and Marriott and things. This was mostly pre-COVID before um, right. a lot of the wind got sucked out of that, the hospitality sales. Oh, really? So they had to, well, there's not oh. really anyone sting. I was going to say, that's a big that's a big cut into your compost that you collect. That's if, if the it, hotels it, and restaurants aren't creating any organic waste, then... Exactly. That's been that's been the biggest impact we've seen um, right now, um, and you know we'll we have seen, however, an increase in the amount of stuff that we're getting from industrial producers, like food mm. manufacturers, food packagers. Yeah. Um, you know the, the the general mills of the world are going strong because their grocery stores are doing well, um, and people are you know eating more at home. So we're, it's it's been a bit shift of where it's coming from. But back to your question about the barriers, um, there are a lot of, yeah, I mean, they, 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 there's a ton of them. And I, and I think it, most people, once they see whether they do it at home, whether they do it in their place of business, if they can, if, if they can just take the first step, nudged or otherwise, right. it can pretty quickly be proven that it is not a humongous hassle. It's it's like beginning recycling it once, once, once you mm-hmm. kind of get over the hump, the mental hump, generally speaking, you find that it is one of the smallest of habit changes and it can be, it can be done in such a variety of ways. You don't yeah. have to be a pro gardener to want to use the finished compost to do it. You can just divert it for diversion's sake or you right. can. That's why I do it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, that's so easy. I'll just talk about my path to this for a minute because being able to keep the wet materials in my freezer, the bottom drawer in my freezer is where I put all of my scraps, all of my food scraps, nothing smelly, nothing's gross. There's no bugs, no rodents. I have two big Akitas. 
and there's Those are a railroad dogs, track. by the way, not yeah, anacondas. Yeah, dogs, two, two big dogs. <laughs> and uh, if I had a pile in my yard, they'd be getting into it. The rats that fall off the train, which we do see rats falling off the train on the train tracks, Ew. they get in the yard. Yeah, they, they kind of love compost <laughs> piles and stuff. So there are issues here. And the fact that we have city composting, now granted, we have to take it to the convenience centers, but and that's where you guys pick it up. But that's True. a really awesome... Uh, thing for us to have. And I, I don't think people realize in this country how many, how few resources there are. When I started doing research about this, only 3% of all composting uh, facilities in the country accept food waste. Correct. And that is because it's difficult. You run into a lot of challenges that require extra care. Most most composting takes place, you know, of green waste, lawn and garden waste, wood waste, that kind of thing, because it's relatively hassle free and you can make a lot of product without running the risk of, you know, creating a big, you know, smell. Um, we being fairly, you know, mission driven, wanting to attack that problem from the get go, wanted to address it and wanted to accept food waste because we knew what a giant portion of the waste stream it was and so that's we, we designed our system to accommodate that and there is more risk involved but i mean if you do it right and i think we've proven over the course of our history um we've you know we've been able to do it without becoming a nuisance and without you know you know stinking up cheatham county which is where we're located mm -hmm. um yeah. but it is it's you're, you know, you're, you're, you're aiming at a higher, at a, at a higher ring. And it, you, it's, it's once you start doing it, when I'm, when I put my compost in there, I feel so much better about that than recycling. I don't have to worry that that's going to end up in, in some foreign country shipped out away yeah. somewhere or yeah. Or if it's not even, yard. yeah, exactly. I know when I put that in there that I'm taking this out of the waste stream and it's actually going to be reused and I feel great about it. There's about a week. It's funny you're talking about your backyard compost filling up and, and being so huge. How do we have to have huge piles? I make a lot of compost. We, we I cook a lot. We we have tons of dog hair. It's a ton yeah, of compost. And so That's your dog hair? I <laughs> wondering where all that came from. You know what? Yeah. It is it is from Trinity. Uh, I do put a ton of dog hair in that in the Trinity uh, uh, convenience yeah. center. Um, I laugh every time. Are you serious? You've seen it? Have you seen it come through? No, there? no. I, I, He's we, messing uh, with you, man. Part of the part of the larger pile. It would be, about, uh, but I'm not going to keep my eyes peeled. That's right. You should. Mm -hmm. If so, the whole, when when COVID started, you know, the first thing they did. I want to ask you about that. Is shut the convenience center down, and that was a little crazy. Uh, and they opened yeah. it up one day a week, and then didn't allow us to compost. And I had been it had been piling up here, and I started distributing it to my neighbors, but I was filling all of their compost to the brim. And so there was a week, a one week period where I was like, oh, I'm going to have to sign up with Compost Nashville. I'm going to have to find somewhere to do this. I got to scramble. And I just, for one week, I stopped composting and it made me physically ill to throw coffee grounds, banana peels, that kind of stuff in the right. trash. I, I, I was just devastated. I can relate. And then yeah, Mary, she had the same experience. I mean, all of our freezers were full. All, all of our bins like, were full. Is it bad if I throw it in my backyard? I live in an apartment. I'm like, can I throw it in the woods? And I'm like, you know, it's better there than it would be in the landfill. So 
Agreed. Absolutely. And first, okay thank you it. all for even thinking about it while there's like this, all this other cloud of everything hanging over the entire world. I warms my heart. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we hated to see that interruption um, in the, in the convenience centers. Um, we're, we're thrilled that Metro is you know, wanting to offer that to citizens and we're further thrilled that anybody actually will go to the effort like y'all will to actually take it over there um but i mean we've seen a great response out of, of that program so we're thrilled to be doing it for starters we hated to see it stop um we understood temporarily we're back up and running now thankfully um Yay. but you know everybody was a little I think gun shy about what, you know, what does this mean? How can we do this? Is this going to spread something? Um, we, the research yeah. pretty quickly came out that the composting process kills viruses that are a lot scarier than COVID very quickly. Um, we have to go through a, a rigorous process of, um, Scient scientist reduction. Yes. It's part of our scientisting. <laughs> which I think we need some like brown lab coats now. Thank you. Uh, we're going to do the next uniform. Christmas gifts. Mm -hmm. ha hashtag scientisting. Yeah. Yes. Dirt science. Dirt science. I like that. Yeah. Well, Michael and I were talking about the recycling system and all the issues that we keep running into with the plastics. And of course, we're huge supporters of compostable products. I worked in the restaurant industry for years and felt pretty helpless for a long time. But to learn about all this stuff, it seemed so mindless to me. Like, of course, of course we're, we need to use those. And I think I even spoke to either you, someone, when I was working for the restaurant here in Nashville, it's like we gotta get we gotta get composting guys and a few times we did we we tried some products that just our food's really greasy and the food at the restaurant i was working at and all, watching all the recycling go into well we don't know actually where it goes and that's what michael was kind of touching on is it's refreshing to know that we know where the compost is going we know that it's getting taken care of the right way and you guys have this mission and i think i read on your website already 50 million pounds diverted um we're probably approaching that figure we did we'll we probably do something in the neighborhood of 12 to 15 million this year so i think we're probably on schedule right on schedule but we were talking we haven't been too far off we were talking about the recycling system in our previous episode and michael had this idea you want to explain that <laughs> Well, it's the idea is that if recycling is broken and people rely on it, yet it's not working at all. If it was a business, if you think about it, it's if even if we were generous and say 10% of it is working, that means that 90% of their mission is a failure. And so, but then everyone is just kind of convinced that it's okay to keep buying plastic because we put it in our bins and we don't have to worry about it because it goes away and gets made into other stuff. And maybe, I mean, my thought process has been maybe, and I think we've talked about this briefly before, is maybe we should just scrap recycling for the moment. At least the plastic her, side of it. That's, that's hearsay. And, uh, and maybe, well, I'm, I, curbside, maybe we shouldn't even curbside pick up recycling, we should pick up composting and it'll be more effective. Is, I mean, is, am I way off base or is it, and, and and let me preface it, there, there, there is one, there is an example of that here in Tennessee in uh, Sevierville, 
Uh, have you seen their facility? Do you know anything about that facility there? Uh, they have recently redone that facility in a fairly major way, but I, I'm, I'm aware of it. I have not toured it. Um, but I'm, I, I know, um, you know, a couple of the people that are involved with it and when, what their sort of mission is. Yeah. Which is basically to take all the trash and put it into the big composting machines and then filter out anything that's not compost. Right. That's so they're, they're opposite. They dump everything. Into they do. Compost. They take all of the trash that basically what they refer to as MSW that's generated in Sevier County, and they um, it's it's basically a volume reduction, um, which is they're extremely successful at um, at at taking something that is, you know, um, enormous and 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 doing a lot of uh, volume reduction on that. Is that something that? could be applied here in Nashville? I mean, could we scale this up uh, to the way you're doing it or some combination of anaerobic, aerobic, and the, the hybrid method and, and, and scale this up in a quick way? Is there any way to do that quickly? You know, I mean, quickly, probably not. I mean, that, that facility has been there since... God, I mean, they yeah. were they were way out uh, ahead of it. I mean, I think it's been there for 25 years, and yeah, it's 1991, I think, is what gotcha. I said. So, yeah. um, and so, um, you know, I'm not exactly sure what the genus of was why they elected to do that in 1991 before anybody in the region was ever thinking about you know an alternative to trash. It may be the terrain and landfilling was you know difficult, or it may have been the fact that they were already a you know hospitality hub. Um, and generating incredible amounts of, of, of refuse. Um, I don't know enough about the history of it. Um, there would probably need to be a, uh, some sort of a combination of, of what they're doing and sort of traditional composting. I'm, what, what is coming out of that facility? I don't have any experience with the actual finished you know, compost. And so I'm, it's kind of hard to say. Let's just um, think of this simple idea. Basically, I think what Michael is trying to say is, is, is it too outlandish to think that we could focus more on organic waste in the city instead of trying to mess with all this plastic stuff? You know, we have, we have you. We have this industrial-sized facility so close to where we live, and it's just kind of daunting that we don't take full advantage of it when the rest of the country doesn't have that. There, you know, we, I would love to see more emphasis put on this because it's the number one thing going into the landfill and because we've, we've right. seen that a lot of what we're doing with, you know, other portions of the recycling stream, you know, aren't working. Um, and, you know, we had some, right. th that entire industry was based on, as y'all, you know, touch base on earlier, shipping it overseas and making it somebody else's problem. Um, yeah. and that was a symptom of kind of our consumer economy. Basically right. ships were coming over loaded with, you know, plastic goods. When we were finished with them, it was really cheap to send all that stuff back in the form of garbage so that they right. could, you know, recycle it. And that was, that, that was good enough for everybody for a long time, even though, you know, it was then revealed that there were a lot of problems with that. Um, and now we know that, the, you know, the, yeah, that system probably was never working all that well until there is real infrastructure here to actually utilize a lot more of that kind of waste. 
it's probably going to be challenging to feel great about, you know, what's going on. Um, there are some communities and I know that Metro is doing everything that they can to make sure that it's, it's working well, um, fighting against budget constraints and all sorts of other things. Um, money, 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 money. I mean, it, you know, that's you without the political will, which I say, this is a proud Southerner. We don't mm -hmm. have a ton of that sort of baked into our DNA yet um, to be out in front of issues like these as they do in other parts of the country. I mean, right. I feel like we're getting there. We're though. getting there. Absolutely. We're making huge progress. And I think that is both a combination of people waking up and also an influx of, you know, new talent, so to speak. There are people coming in. And this podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, awareness is coming up. But. You know, we're trying to educate everybody, you know. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. What no, you I was to just, say? Uh, you know, I, I would love to see more emphasis put on it. Um, I think it's still a lot of people assume that the only things that are recyclable and also the thing that makes them feel okay about sort of levels of consumption that they're, nor that they're used mm -hmm. to are the, you know, the sort of the big three, cardboard, plastic, and metal. Um, and then, yeah. you know, number four glass. And then we're, we sort of weigh down the list of anybody's. We believe in you, Clay. Well, thank you. We believe in you guys. And we, and we really appreciate what you're doing. And we're just trying to learn as much as we can about the process and how to make it easier for people to start it and how to support you because we want more people to compost and we want more people and we want more business for you so we can take on this dream because that's the only way it's going to happen. We have to start making those big changes and the more people composting, the better off. So, yeah. And you know what? Um, I, I, it's kind of weird to jump to this now, but I'm so interested to know how you got into compost. Like, how did you, what's the story behind you getting into this industry? Um, I was, let's say, um, this was 10 or 12 years ago. My little brother, um, um, I was living in New York. My little brother was here and actually worked uh, for Metro in the department of uh, Metro Beautification. Really? Wow. Yeah, and I was very smugly, um, talk, you know, griping about the state of recycling in Nashville. And I think he'd been on the job for six months and was sort of like, yeah, you know, we're going to make all these changes. We're going to do all this stuff and it's going to be great. And we started talking about, you know, like why him. isn't, you know, why isn't the state of you know recycling in Metro better? And he, he was like, well... You know, we're really trying. We've got, you know, monthly pickup now. And, you know, it's, it's, it's improved a lot in the last five years. But really, it's infrastructure. And we started talking about those challenges of, you know, collecting the stuff, packaging it, putting it on a boat, going over there. And so our bright idea was, all right, let's get into it. Let's do it here. And so we started looking at the, you know, those avenues, aluminum, glass, paper. Recycling all of first. Yeah. And we lacking the gozillion dollars one needs to start say an aluminum processing plant or uh, you know paper mill um we started looking at other you know areas of the waste stream because we both wanted to do something that had an impact um but we also wanted to be able you know make a living doing it um and so we started looking at other areas of, of the waste stream and that's when we realized we're like, wait a minute, the majority of what goes into a landfill every day is, you know, is organic material. 
and you know then it was well you don't really need that much to start composting you just need some land and maybe a small piece of equipment and you know off you go and you can scale up yeehaw and uh yeah and so as we, as we were kind of researching this thing we got a little bit more excited about it more excited about it and you know, this was the mid aughts i guess and then we did our research and we came across um, a guy who is now our business partner ed wansing um, this was in 2013 or 14 he had an early start in this and we were talking with him and I don't know, in 2015, we all partnered up and we've been able to, you know, really, you know, kind of get going in a meaningful way. So, yeah. yeah. So let me, let me ask you this, because, you know, we put ourselves out there. We've been, you've come to one of our live meetings, you know, we get people together to talk Which about waste awesome. issues. And I can't mm, wait for them to be you. live and in person again. Those are so much fun. Me too. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. And, and we we have people reach out. You know, I'm in contact with people from lots of different cities. We're we're in contact uh, routinely with uh, the people in Pittsburgh where they have the No Plastic Please campaign. We've uh, talked to people in uh, Indiana. One of the questions that that comes to me occasionally is, "Hey, you know, we don't have the facility like you guys have. How do we start one?" And I was wondering, is like, well, maybe, you know, maybe a compost company could be the franchisee and start spreading the information and the, the business model out to some of these other cities that are really wanting to do this. Is that, is that even on your radar or? Expansion certainly is, is, you know, the, the, the salty old garbage guys say while chomping on their cigars, trash is a local <laughs> business. And it, and it is, I mean, cause there's not, you know, it, it starts to make less and less sense if you're carting the stuff, you know, hither and yon all over the place. And then suddenly you get in a right. position where we are with the recycling industry, um, where it's, where it's going all over the place. And that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for organic waste, especially because it's got a pretty distinct timetable. You want to get that stuff <laughs> processed quickly. Um, so doing it locally is, is the answer as far as we're concerned. And we would love to do that. And now that we're, at least five years old since um, Jeffrey and I have been involved with Ed, um, you know, we feel like we've gotten to a point where we're repeatable and we, we know what our process is. We've got our legs under us really well and we're solid enough to do that. We were feeling some pressure a couple of years ago, like, oh, we better go do this now. And, we better, uh, yeah. and I'm glad we didn't because we probably would have gotten out over our skis a little bit. And, um, but we're, we feel pretty good about where we are now and we we think we could we could do that i think i mean i think it makes abundant sense you know if memphis and louisville and birmingham and atlanta you know i mean there there are cities that do have these but very few of them have adequate capacity in the way that you know they do in san francisco or seattle i mean those are the two what, what are we compared what are we compared to them are we babies? We we are. <laughs> are we little minis? We are. We are still in the incubator. Um, we we have freshly really? born. Um, we're probably now. The last estimate was we were we were composting something like six percent of what is produced, which is probably high. Mm. Um, and what's there, what would you say theirs is? Theirs is you know I mean the total waste diversion in you know a place like San Francisco is approaching eighty five percent. 
so extrapolating out. And they've been around. Uh, but they have. They've been doing it for a long time. But, I mean, you know, their their solutions aren't exactly perfectly local. I mean, they're going 75, 80, 90 miles out into the, you know, into the eastern parts of California to, to perform all of that. And that's a symptom of urban mm-hmm. density that, you know, requires that they do that. They do have some more solutions that are in town, like we talked about earlier, the anaerobic digesters and things that are taking a portion of that. But, you know, to do it on on large scale requires some space. Um, but, you know, Seattle's doing a great job of it. Portland is. And a lot of the places you'd expect. Um, and the Northeast is starting to catch up. But uh, Denver has got some good outlets that are taking care of a lot of organic waste. And um, there's, a, there's a few of us in the South that are doing this kind of thing, but we've we got a long way to go. Do, do you feel that, uh, that the landfill companies and some of the trash hauling companies consider compost uh, competition and, and discourage it politically or behind the scenes? Or do you think everybody's just going, hey, we need to solve all these problems? In some of the top tier markets, um, they have started to get into the game and they tend to discourage um, entrance as if the barriers to entry weren't steep enough. They, you know, kind of say like, oh, yep, mm-hmm. we're, we're getting ready to start doing that right here in Nashville. Nobody better open up mm-hmm. a company like this because we've got the space to do it and it's going to be great. But I just don't know that they're sufficiently interested um, because in a lot of cases, they've got a great big hole in the ground and their business model is is predicated on preserving that space. Mm, money, money, money. Every time, Maris, it's good. We need like a button that just is like. Oh, yeah. Um, we should have a sound effect, Michael. <laughs> we'll work on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but, you know, next time. They, as long as they are able to site and operate landfills, they they will be able to keep that cost pressure on landfilling being the easiest way to do it. And as long as that's the cheapest and easiest thing, more, you know, a good portion of people are going to choose that. But as we've been able to grow, we've been able to bring our cost much more in line and in certain cases below what it costs to landfill. And the day that I can across the board say it's absolutely cheaper to compost than landfill, my job in like getting new people to do it is going to be so much easier. I can't wait. Um, But we're... Yeah, but we're almost we're 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 there. Dreams. We're, well, that we're, also we're, we're there. That's going to be a lot easier when this landfill, our current national one, fills up, and they're trucking stuff up to Kentucky or wherever because no one wants another landfill in Tennessee. Then you've got to pay the shipping charges and freight and fuel. So I imagine yeah. you'll be a lot cheaper then. Indeed, and and the, like we were talking about the the New York example. Once once their waste had to start going to Ohio, like they were like, wait a minute. Let's build the huge thing and let's do it locally. Um, you know, once it's, you know, once it has to go, you know, past 100 miles, it really, you know, stops making sense in any way. So hopefully in that case, we'll start seeing a lot more of it going to, you know, going to alternatives such as ours. Amazing. This has been so much fun, Clay. You have a great podcasting voice, by the <laughs> way. You. you have a very vibrant you know great great voice for this so (laughs) to to recap on what we learned we learned what composting is and basically what if it came from the earth it can go back into the earth and we also learned that nashville is extremely 
lucky because we have the compost company that you started five years ago, our, our baby, our baby business, which is going to be booming and amazing soon because everyone that listens to this compost is going to go straight into their kitchen and they're going to make their dinner or whatever it is. And any scraps that they have, they're going to take an old cardboard shoe box, which is what I use. If you don't have a backyard and you're going to put all of it in there and you're going to put it in the freezer because that's what me and Michael do. So there's no excuses. My poor roommate, we don't even have any freezer room because it's all compost, but <laughs> we learned that you can do, there's all sorts of things that you can do if you don't have the resources in your backyard. And when we have compost company, we have compost Nashville that picks up residentially and goes directly to you they guys. Do. We love you... compost Nashville. They make it extremely easy, especially for anybody who doesn't have the freezer space or, you know, I understand it's a challenge to take it over to a convenience center or to drop it off at our place. If you happen to be near Ashland city. So avail yourself of that resource, please. If, you know, if you just want to divert it from landfilling, those guys come to yeah, your door and do. they grab it and they bring it, bring it to us and we process it and you get a little bit of our finished compost back a couple times a year. So I love yeah, that. That's great. And, and, you know, we also learned about the compostable products and how confusing that can be. So hopefully if you're listening all the way to the end here, you realize that there's a lot more that goes into this, that recycling is still not working and there are other options out there and you should try them because it's not that hard. And there's also, if you go to our website, there's also a video on composting that Jess and I are starring in and Michael produced and it's our first video ever so you can kind of see the the energy we're so excited to do compost and I learned what dry and wet compost is I didn't even know there was a difference and like you said there's all sorts of things that can go in there and if you do have questions I'm sure you could probably follow them on Facebook follow compost company or compost Nashville or us zero waste trash follow Talk, them all and they, ask, yeah, follow all of us you hand them the card. You're like, here, here's the frequently asked questions card. I used to, I used to carry that when I had. I don't, Maris, you never met Kona, did you? My giant Akita. I had, a, no. I had an Akita that's. I mean, people thought he was a dire wolf from Game of Thrones. He was, he <laughs> he stood when he put his hands giant on giant dog. When he put his uh, paws on my shoulder, he, I'm five nine and he stood almost a foot over me. He oh, was over. He was probably six six foot three, six foot five long and tall and uh michael and his big dog so anyway when we walked around downtown los angeles people always ask you know how much does he eat how much does he poop what kind of dog there was always the same questions and i i was, I was <sighs> like i'm gonna make a baseball card that's got all his stats yes. on it so i can just a hand ton. it to everybody a ton. yeah oh a my ton. god and yeah. you just you just brought up another topic that i would that we're just briefly gonna talk about because this is something that we talk about all the time can't put dog poop in compost. Oh, you can't oh, put the dog damn, poop I in. Now I know that. why you were so interested in it, Michael, because <laughs> you have it. a metric ton dog. of it produced every week. <laughs> okay, not not just that. I do have a lot here, but not just that. I'm also I, I work in dog rescue as well, and uh, actually we branched off from an emergency shelter that that a group of us are working at, and we wanted to take it to a more full time kind of thing. So I'm on the board of a new rescue. And uh, it's called uh, True True Rescue, and uh, I these people I worked with and I've converted. They've come to our meetups. They have like seen the light and they want to be more sustainable. And we go into these houses with the hoarders Aww. and the pets and all of that. And they they get it now that it's all kind of tied together. You know, the climate and the environment, animals, all of it. So anyway, 
the True Rescue Company, one of the concepts that we're putting out there is called Poo Rescue. And we want to be able to compost the the animal <laughs> waste from the shelter and take it from other shelters and maybe make electricity or something for it. And I think that's going to be an an, an anaerobic process, right? I uh, certainly could. If you if you want to convert it to electricity, that's kind of how it has to be. It you know it, it off gases and you burn the gas to create electricity. Uh, but is there is is that the best way to approach? Because right now it seems like. You know, even you guys didn't, you know, you're like, oh, you can put some dog poo in there, but don't tell everybody because, you know, you don't want to be inundated with it. You know, the city says, oh, yeah, you can flush dog poo, but they don't want everybody to do it because then no. the waste treatment is going to be overflowing. Well, that and um, it's, you know, heavily most pet waste, especially cats for some reason. I, I've never talked to a vet about why this is, but apparently cat waste is, real, is highly pathogenic. Mm -hmm. And in ways that, I mean, we have to go through a process, what we call PFRP, the process for the further reduction of pathogens. Um, and basically it determines where we have to keep temperatures for a certain amount of time and to kill off whatever scary things might be in there. E. coli, salmonella, COVID-19, whatever. Um, and there's a threshold where just about anything will die off that will, you know, is, 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 viral um and so um but apparently pet waste is just rife with all kinds of different things but but one of the big ones beyond that is um uh antibiotics because apparently a lot of people are giving their pets drugs which i didn't know was really a thing um i've been like a mutt owner my whole life um that there's a lot of persistent um antibiotics and things and hmm. i don't think that those would show up in any kind of meaningful thing in art you know we could take three tons of, of of dog shit every you know a week and it would be a pretty small fraction of of the total so i'm not that worried about it but t-deck is and so we kind of have to draw a firm line on that unfortunately and i just they are there are you know our overlords and so we we have to make sure you know I'm sure they have a good reason for it. We love you, T-Deck. We'll but... actually talk to talk to them about that. So we have friends there. So we'll talk. Yeah, to we them. do. Yeah. We can get them on the phone too. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a good question because I have a dog. Michael has dogs. We all have dogs, and we're like, what is the best way to get rid of this stuff? It it doesn't make you know. Then I thought, well, we just gotta leave. You know, if my dog ends up pooping in the bushes or off the beaten path, I which he does. I'm very lucky. I don't normally have to pick it up. Michael's like, no, because in the bacteria, if everybody's dog pooped everywhere and you didn't pick it up, it would be awful. It would be and running off. Where does it go? It would be running off into the nearest, um, you know, storm drain and then into the nearest waterway, which would then cause lots of problems in the nearest river. So like to say, the Cumberland River Compact is very concerned about non-removed pet waste. And and I, I understand that. And those are some of the same reasons that we can't take it our, our water runoff on site would be affected and then we might not be able to reapply that to the compost for moisture control and it, it just it's a whole so yeah blur. so even with these compostable bags that you're seeing now with the their you know they're marketing the compostable poop bags yeah. does it even no, matter because we're it's going into the land landfill yeah, we're not matter. composting it and thus the greenwash um yeah. thing keeps rolling on its merry way i mean you know there's probably the majority of compostable serviceware never sees a composting facility 
generally speaking, because yeah. most of it leaves the place where it was being, you know, generated and then ends up in somebody's home, you know, garbage pile. And so it doesn't necessarily find its way to that industrial compost facility that is, you know, labeled with. So, um, and, and a similar something happens with a lot of compostable bags. I mean, again, it beats people making those things out of petroleum. Yeah, that's the only, yeah. I think that's the only upside. Because you're still encapsulating it in a plastic and burying it for a thousand years. Bingo. The bag will just degrade faster than the poop. It doesn't, it doesn't break down <laughs> like it's supposed to in a landfill and just becomes another banana peel, say. That's not really living up to its potential. Which is kind of how I think about it. Is if like, if you're going to make the compostable cup, like... That cup wants to, you know, it wants to be on stage, man. It wants to, it wants to sing for the people. And if you <laughs> throw it in a landfill, it never gets that opportunity. Whereas if it comes to a composting facility, maybe it's ready for the Grammys. It's that's that's where it's meant to be. That's a great soundbite. That's we're true. Gonna, we're going to use that. I'm going to. Uh, uh, we'll, I'll give you a call as we're, you know. Right now, the uh, ground is being broken on the new shelter, and so I'll give you a call and we'll talk about you know, what we should be doing, at least for the one facility for now. But I see that we can start a business model or a, not, it's not a business because it's a charity, but a model of a sustainable rescue. Sure. And, uh, I, I, so, you know, I mean, if we can figure, figure it out with like, we need to get y'all together with Mars Pet Care because mm -hmm. they generate an incredible amount of that stuff down in Franklin and it's got to be usable somewhere. I don't know where it is or if we could get a special dispensation for you know making piles out of nothing but that waste and capturing the stormwater you know the water runoff because that's that's where the the rubber really meets the road is is what happens to the water that has contacted that stuff in a landfill environment they call it leachate ah. in our environment they call it contact water um and that stuff generally has has got elements of whatever it's touched in it. In this case, pet waste and pathogens. So if there was a way to keep it all in one spot and not have it running off into the nearest creek and then river, I'm sure that would alleviate a lot of the concerns of um, cheetah yeah. or whoever. Yeah. So. Um, and this is why we talk about this stuff. We just we're talking this out. We're coming up coming up with ideas. Who to get people involved with? Sure. I mean, Mars yeah. is a big one, and that's a huge problem for them. It's got to be. I mean, um, because we've talked about doing lots of different things with them, and we do compost a fair amount of the uh, meat material that comes out of their pet food um, production line. Mm -hmm. um, but the the waste was one thing that they asked about, and we couldn't we couldn't do anything for them. Is there a way we could set up a meeting that we could? Uh... I, I sit down and talk about it. Yeah, they they use a waste broker now. A lot of a lot of waste is now a, a brokered commodity, which I find kind of hilarious. Yikes. But it is well, it, <laughs> it's more finding the cheapest and potentially greenest alternative is the commodity, not the waste itself. They're just looking for the for the best place to put it. But a lot of big companies that say you know have facilities all around the country don't necessarily want to have every plant manager dealing with that independently, so they get you know, uh, a, a waste broker. And I, I had no idea before we got into this, how many of those people there are. Um, but there are lots of them. And that is, their, is wow. Is that, 
Is that also why everybody says, "Oh, yeah, we we can't tell you where the where the recycling or the waste goes. We don't know. It goes to whoever's bidding on it, and it's kind of it almost acts like this blinder uh, or insulator for mm-hmm. the people that should know where it goes. Is that is that kind of what's happening, or is that the cynical take on it? In a way, I mean, it's you know they're like, well, somebody else handles that. Mm-hmm. In a way that you know some other you know a third party financial advisor helped the senator who got the coronavirus information first sell off right. all the stock in disney and marriott hotel you know it's sort of like hmm, right maybe <laughs> that's convenient um but they you know in like you know the the head of 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 uh, you know say insert giant food company here probably spends a little time thinking about it other than Let's get green. Let's get somebody on that. And then they, that trickles down through the ranks. And then finally they get to the, the people who are in charge of that and they, they hire somebody to carry that out for them. And so there's lots of well-meaning people in that thing, but there's also lots of different definitions for waste diversion. If you're just going zero waste to landfill, you can still fulfill that goal by just sending it to an incinerator which is not exactly the true meaning. Um, not our favorite. No. Uh, you can, you know, it, it's not going to a landfill if you just dump it in the nearest river, which obviously is illegal, thankfully. But it, there are yeah, don't do that. lots of different <laughs> ways to handle it that maybe aren't necessarily the, the, the best. But right. there are lots of people also out there, and I will say, that are working hard to make it better. It's just a it's a big old ship we're trying to to turn and a lot of ingrained yeah. habit and you know the bigger the the bigger the ship the slower the you know the longer the arc but you know it's um it's, it's happening it's just not happening as quickly as any of us would like but well and right. and covid shows us that you know the whole place shut down and it's like things can happen differently like the world can look differently and and we can react and and as a as a society literally stop dead in our tracks to figure something out right exactly that's a good point michael that's a really good yeah. point it's if, if i mean there's gonna be a few times ever that we're gonna be handed an opportunity to really stop have some time to rethink and then 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 restart right we don't know how long this is gonna go on and it really could um affect the way we do things going forward hopefully well, positively that's... Yeah, that's what we're gonna. That's what we're gonna. Not just hope for. We're gonna talk for it and yeah, and, true and that. Put put it out there. Let's make the world the one we want to live in. I'm with you. Be the change you wish to see in the world. Bam. Heck yeah. Thanks, Clay. I appreciate Thank you, so appreciate much, you Clay. coming along. We're gonna yeah, talking to us. Oh well, Maris, Michael. Thank you for the invitation. I'm always pleased to talk with y'all and talk about complex. Generally speaking, much appreciated for everything y'all are doing.